The first reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 1, reading from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the second reading is from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Over the past uh, two weeks, we've been uh, talking about our theme for uh, this Advent, Advent Conspiracy. And the first one was uh, Worship Fully, or Worship Fully depending on how you want to uh, to use it. To spend less was the second week. And today's theme, uh, as Stephanie said, is to give more. In two weeks at the Christmas Eve All Age Service, uh, we're going to be thinking about love all. The idea of the campaign is quite simple. It's built on the belief that all of us, to some extent, are caught in a trap of uh, consumerism or materialism. And most of us don't realise just how trapped we are. If you think about how they train elephants, not that you should do that, but it does happen. But when when an elephant is very young, they put a really big chain around one of its legs. And of course, understandably, the elephant tries to get away and discovers it can't. It's stuck. And as long as they keep something wrapped around its leg, it never tries to escape. Because somehow in its head, it's stuck. It's tried it. And it's stuck. And of course, we know that as the elephant gets bigger, it could just wander away. Because it's able to do that, because it has grown up and it's more powerful. I don't think that we realise that materialism and consumerism has us trapped. But that we, like the elephant, but with God's help for us, we can break free. And we can do things differently. And when we talk about giving, I think we we have a, a similar sort of, of mental barrier. We, we don't understand it. We're kind of caught. We're trapped by consumerism and materialism. So we kind of forget where giving begins. And it begins with God. As, as Stephanie, you'd think we had planned it. As Stephanie said earlier, John 3.16 gives us a reminder that giving begins with God. God is a giving God. 
Now, one of the primary characteristics is giving. It says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. One of the main parts of the Jesus story is the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gave himself to us and for us. He gave himself completely and fully. The incarnation represents the ultimate act of sacrifice. That's why we had John at 1.14 where it says, The word that is Jesus became human and lived among us. The message version says he moved into the neighborhood. So what if we came to understand that rather than our giving beginning with us, as followers of Jesus, our giving starts with him. I think that the call of Jesus was to reorder our priorities, our finances, and our lives around him. We are called to be people that give. And when we hear that, probably the first thing we think about is money, because it's all-consuming in our culture and our society. But, as Stephanie said, Yes, we, we generate sometimes our, our generosity and giving using money, but, but we also want to think about how we can be generous with our time, with our presence, with our talent. And I want to look at uh, a passage that's not really got anything to do with Advent and Christmas, but it's got a lot to do with giving. And I'm not going to read it all at once because it's quite long, but I'm going to take a little section uh, at a time. So it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, and it's 15 verses, the first 15 verses there. So verses 1 and 2. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. We don't know exactly what the Macedonian church was facing when Paul mentions their severe trial and extreme poverty, but it's clearly not a good thing. In Romans fifteen twenty six, he says, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor amongst the saints in Jerusalem. There's a story in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. It says, As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Repeatedly throughout scripture, those with little are praised, not because of the amount that they give, but because of what they sacrifice to give it. And it's even more pronounced in the New Testament, as the focus of giving is not measured by how much is given. It's not measured by the total that is given, but by the level of sacrifice that is made in giving it. George Muller, the uh, evangelist and, and, uh, and Christian, said, God judges what we give by what we keep. It's quite challenging, isn't it, really? God judges what we give by what we keep. 
And we see that in verses uh, 3 and 4 uh, in, in 2 Corinthians. It says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. How many times have you urgently pleaded with somebody to be able to give to them for their work of Christian ministry? Please let me give you money. And how many of us are standing there saying, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's have it. Please let me give you money. They were desperate to, to, to make a contribution. What does it mean to give beyond their ability? Well, that's perhaps the most remarkable aspect of giving. When we open ourselves up to God and open up the floodgates of our generosity, God regularly pours out his abundance. The only time in the Bible God says, test me on this, is to do with money. You give me your money, says God, and I'll pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And then he says, test me and see. The only time he does that. And that, I think, is often the part of giving that makes us really uncomfortable. We're often very comfortable giving from what we have, our excess. You know, we'd be reasonably okay about giving away our old TV. But it would seem really weird to us to give away our new TV. It's the same with our clothes. We have no problem dropping clothes off at the charity shop. But what about the new things that we bought for Christmas? I mean, who would think of giving them away? And to be honest, Paul doesn't pretend that this more radical understanding of generosity comes naturally to us. Of course it doesn't. Our nature tells us that we, we have to hoard, we have to keep, that we have to protect ourselves against whatever it might happen to us in the future. And Paul says that the Macedonian Christians gave beyond their ability. He's saying that the Holy Spirit has empowered them to trust beyond what seemed reasonable in their culture. He's saying that what they previously thought was impossible, actually God has made possible. The message version puts it like this. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. There is a clear sense repeatedly throughout Scripture that we cannot do anything of real significance without God. We can give some here and there. But ultimately, for something that is earth-shattering, life-transforming, we have to let God's Spirit guide us. And he can lift us beyond ourselves in generosity. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8 says this, They didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. The first step is always giving ourselves entirely to the Lord. It always starts there. When we began this sermon series um, about consumerism in our culture around Christmas particularly, but in general, we began it talking about worship. And it was worshipfully or worshipfully. Any true transformation of individuals begins with worship. It's our worship, our allegiance to God that overflows into sharing with others. 
And Jesus sums this up when he answers a question from the lawyers of his day. Which is the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, 37 to 39, he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. First, we love God. Of course, people who don't love God can be very generous. You don't need to love God to be generous. But we dishonor God by saying that we love him without being generous. Verses 6 to 9 of 2 Corinthians 8. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. There's one concept that Paul repeatedly links with giving and generosity in this passage, and it's grace. It's by grace that we are capable of doing anything. It's by grace that we are capable of giving. Paul began by saying, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The ability to give generously comes through grace. It's God-empowered, God-enabled. And Paul is challenging them. You're good in a lot of things, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, love, but you've also got to be good in giving. And the reason he gives is because Jesus was good at giving. In fact, his entire life was one of giving. Though he was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the main force of the argument as to why we should be people of radical generosity. That since God has been radically generous to us, we in turn, should be generous to others. And it's not about you know, the fact that God has poured out material blessings on us. The, the example that is given is the Macedonian Christians who didn't have anything. And yet, from their poverty, they gave generously. Regardless of our economic status and how much stuff we have in our houses, we all begin life really poor because we are sinners who have fled from God. But the good news of Christmas and our faith in God is that with God we have all we need. God came to earth as a human being. He became a poor baby born in a tiny Bethlehem cave. He grew up to be an ordinary Jewish carpenter and you know, we're told in Isaiah there was nothing about him that, that would cause us to desire him or want him. He was just an ordinary fellow. He ultimately faced ridicule, insult, and death. And yet, and yet, here's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, 
living as a human being so that you and I can have a relationship with God, so that you and I can enjoy the riches and the glories of heaven, so that you and I can enjoy relationship with him. He chose to put on our flesh and walk in our world for no other reason than that he loved us. That is radical generosity. He was rich and he became poor. Verses 10 to 12. And here is my advice about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it might be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. The first step is to develop a willingness to give. And the second is to actually give. Hypotheticals help us to feel good about ourselves. Oh, well, you know, if someone really needed Christmas dinner, yes, I, yes, they could come to my house. That would be great. Yes, no problem at all. Fantastic attitude. Really good. But quite different to actually say to somebody who really needs something, why don't you come? That's what makes it. We can have all the good intentions without actually putting them into practice. So if you look at this past year, where have you demonstrated generosity with your finances, with your time, with your talents? Paul adds again that what matters in our giving is not the total amount. We can't measure the depth of our generosity by what others give. It's a very personal assessment. Verses 13 to 15 says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there, there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it's written, He who gathered much didn't have too much, and he who gathered little didn't have too little. He kind of concludes with some language that makes us a bit uncomfortable. He says that the goal of generosity is not to put ourselves in a destitute situation while others flourish on our gifts. The goal is equality. It's a reciprocal agreement. Those with plenty supply the needs of those with little so that when the situation is turned around, the opposite will also be true. And he then looks at uh, the story in Exodus chapter 16 when the, the Israelites are moaning. They seem to moan an awful lot. Eh? And they, they, you know, they talked about, you know, why, why have you brought us here? We were better off. And we were, they were slaves in Egypt. And yet they kept saying we were better off there. Why? We should really just go back to Egypt. It was so, oh, Egypt was wonderful. They were slaves in Egypt. Do you know? And yet they moaned and they moaned and they moaned. And they're moaning here that they've got no food. So God says, well, I'll give you food. And he gives them manna, which means, what is it? You, know, you can just imagine, what, what is this? What is it? And they were told, just take what you need for today. Don't take more than you need. Just take what you need for today. And so you get that idea that the ones that took too much ended up with just enough. And the ones that had misjudged and didn't quite have enough, had enough. Everybody had enough when they did what God told them to do. Some of them, of course, 
didn't listen and they tried to store it and it went rancid God's gift to us was a relationship built on love so it's no wonder that we are drawn to the idea that Christmas should be a time to love our friends and our family in in the best and the most memorable ways possible time is the real gift that Christmas offers us and no matter how hard we look it cannot be found in the shops or bought online time to make a, a gift that turns into the next family heirloom time to write a letter or a card to somebody to handwrite it do you remember how to do that <laughs> do you know I don't know when I last wrote something because it's all on a, it's all on a keyboard time just to do it differently time to take your children for a walk time to bake really good cookies time to sing some really bad Christmas songs together (coughs) time to have fun time to make love visible through relational giving for me that sounds a lot better than the awful jumper that's two sizes too big that I'm quite likely to get time let's do it differently this year let's show our love for other people by giving more than we would not just our money but our time and our talent Amen Amen